Hey everybody, welcome to the 1947 Rise podcast. A podcast that helps India-born US trained Indians get integrated into the Indian technology ecosystem and inspires them to move back to India to build massive tech companies and or help enable the tech ecosystem. We do this by interviewing India-born US trained Indians who have moved back to India and built massive tech companies themselves and or helped enable the tech ecosystem. I'm excited to have Nitin Sharma on 1947 podcast today. For the last 15 years, Nitin has had the rare fortune of working with world-class entrepreneurs in both the US and India. In the US, Nitin worked at NEA, Everfi, and after moving back to India, he joined Lightbox Ventures as a founding principal. After Lightbox Ventures, Nitin founded an early stage fund called First Principles and currently he's building Antler India as a journal partner and co-founder. Nitin, welcome to the show. Thanks Shiva, great to be here. Awesome. Let's uh, start by unpacking your background. Let's talk about, you know, your journey from growing up in India to moving to the US and then moving back to India. Sure. So, grew up uh, in a typical middle class indian household dad worked for the government moved around various cities um very stereotypical in a way was very focused on academics um got a scholarship at the age of 15 to go to singapore which is you know my only goal growing up was to be an is officer very sort of uh and <laughs> like i said stereotypical and um this this uh offer in singapore exposed me to a whole new world and ended up going there for to finish high school and I'd never assumed I would go to the US for college, you know, assumed maybe someday I'll 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 go or uh, you know perhaps to work later. But uh, as it so happened uh, I got exposed to the US college system and I realized it really fit my personality. I was very drawn to a variety of things and I realized you could, you know, try out different uh, disciplines as majors and minors and anyway ended up uh, in Los Angeles at USC had uh, had an amazing amazing time uh, doing three majors and paying for college by working very very hard throughout college very formative and defining experience for me uh, to actually go through you know an entire fulfilling college journey academically extracurriculars but also work alongside so by the time i came out i think i had something like two or three years of work experience it felt like um, started my career in in uh, technology and finance uh, in at UBS in San Francisco went to mergers and acquisitions in tech companies and this was right around the time facebook's web 2.0 as we call it now was taking off so there was there were some very large mergers and ipos i worked on but on the other end of the spectrum there were these very young companies and that's where i got drawn to and again a lot of things in my life as it is in many people's lives they they happen serendipitously and you don't plan something i had never planned to be in venture but uh, it's so hap- i assumed venture was a place that people went in after they had made a lot of money retired and just wanted to fund other people that was my image of vc back in 2000s um, i got recruited by nea very very fortunate to join some you know amazing legends in the business that's where i learned the ropes of of uh, venture and that was my first innings i was based in washington dc worked on a number of our investments that went public or had uh, good m&a outcomes across um, clean tech saas e-commerce 
but found my found a passion for education tech and uh, really did a lot of work and co-led our first investment in education at a company called Everfi. Then went and worked at that company, figured it would be interesting to actually learn to build something rather than write memos. So went from this really plush boardroom environment to a garage, literally, and was very, very interesting to, you know, be in, a, in an operating role as an early employee and, and wear various hats from sales and BD. We bought one of the, the largest online course in the world at that time was a company that I acquired for Everfi. And um, so that was my journey professionally in the US and, you know, an amazing, amazing experience. But I started to think about India for both professional and personal reasons. And this is around 2011, 12, uh, took some time to go to Wharton. Uh, during that time, I started to see that the early stage ecosystem in India was taking off. And I assumed like many Indians that I would come back, you know, sometime in my 40s. But that got accelerated by about 10 years, I would say. Um, really saw what was happening, got a chance to spend some time at Inmobi and saw that the ecosystem was moving from, you know, IT services to real global IT product, to real global tech products, right? And Inmobi was the first unicorn from India. And the talent that I that I got to interact with there was world-class. So my thesis was India will now become a place where people will build world-class product companies for the global market. You know, Inmobi was an outlier in a case, but you know, 3% of the revenue was from India. Most all, Almost all of it was global. And uh, this was actually not a very popular time to move back. Uh, the economy wasn't doing so well. Um, there was a bit of a lull. You know, there was Flipkart and other companies. The ecosystem was a very, very different ecosystem than what you see today. But I thought that was actually a really interesting time to move back. So I did. Uh, like you mentioned, uh, my journey in India began as part of the founding of Lightbox. Um, I started working with uh, the and uh, he had earlier managed climate work in Shirpano in India. It was a portfolio that we acquired in parallel a new fund um, hundred million, which was the largest uh, new fund in that year in India. And, uh, Years, first two founders, really amazing experience to come back and start working with founders in India. Very different experience, which we will unwrap a little bit. And uh, yeah, and then we can you know continue the rest of the journey uh, in India in your next few questions. Yeah, no, it looks seems like you are uh, pretty clear about you know your thought process. You knew uh, you were you know you wanted to come back and. And worked at great uh, places like you know Inmobi, and then of course uh, Lightbox, and then you later on you went on and you founded uh, uh, First Principles, and now uh, you know you're building Antler. So let's start by talking about First Principles, and then we'll yeah. uh, dive into Antler. So funnily, you mentioned a clear thought process, and you know I don't know if I had. So I I think there are some interesting things I sometimes reflect on. None of the transitions I made were planned, almost none. There was no game plan or, frankly, sometimes not even a super clear thought process. But but you're right in the sense that I think what I followed in every career transition is like going back to some core values and asking myself what I really value. For me, it's been impact and growth. I think that those two reasons uh, were philosophically why, you know, it made sense to move back to India, for example, even though 
certainly was very, very fortunate to have a, a, a very interesting trajectory in the US. And it was the same reason that I uh, have always tried to take a risk in each each transition and move earlier and earlier in stage. If you think about it, right, I call my US journey is a lot about the 10 to 100 phase um, investing wise, at least then going to work at a startup was zero to one. Um, Lightbox was certainly zero to one, uh, so, uh, sorry, one to 10. And and yes, as you mentioned, uh, after spending time in Bombay and Bangalore remotely, I used to travel a lot to Bangalore, certainly felt that I wanted to go towards the early stage side of things. Bangalore was where all the action was. And I wanted to work on a variety of new themes and spaces, including blockchain, crypto. And so 2017, I started my journey in Bangalore, actually. Um, again, had no clear plan as such. Organically started to angel invest and work directly with founders. Right? So after the first few investing journeys, I had always been part of a larger team or a, an established fund. But it was uh, a really interesting challenge to start working directly with founders. And, you know, the, a founder will have you on their cap table only if they see some value in you as a person, as an individual, in, you know, in that context, right? Because you're not coming with deep pockets or uh, a 30-year-old brand name or something. So that was an interesting challenge, which uh, I enjoyed. Um, one thing led to another over the last uh, three, four years that became first principles as a portfolio. About half of it was blockchain and crypto. And as I, I think you know, some of the listeners might, I was a very early mover in that space in the Indian context, the first VC in India to go all in for about a year and a half full time on seeding blockchain ventures from India. I wanted to create a studio um, from India to build for the world and regulations made that extremely challenging. So I kept investing instead um, in projects in India and abroad. Um, we had a community called Encrypt. Uh, blockchain regulation is all the talk right now. We had actually done the the first big effort in that direction by engaging a lot with policy members, doing a massive effort around developers and what they need from policy. Um, so you know, this was this was basically uh, the journey of first principles was very organic and uh, became this portfolio of about forty. And I certainly realized that. Um, uh, the next step was to, while while the game of uh, syndicates and solo capitalists is a really interesting one, uh, and I enjoyed that, I felt that um, I wanted to institutionalize it, put more capital to work, and also a broader effort with a team, you know, and bring more to the founders. Wanted to work with someone as a co-founder as well. I realized I was becoming the bottleneck. So for all these reasons, I I uh, you know was was in that mind space and. Um, uh, started to interact with Antler. Antler had done an amazing job uh, building out the fastest growing early stage VC platform in the last three or four years. Now we are in 17 locations globally. And also in that process, uh, Rajiv and I got to know each other and he comes from a founder operator background having started Urban Ladder. So that's what that what was the genesis. The, the you know Going into Antler, the goal for us is uh, you know we are bringing together my investing experience, Rajiv's operating experience, and uh, an Antler's um, backbone or global network to to the benefit of founders in India who are just starting out. So first six months of their journey, let's say, um, both at First Principles and even obviously at Antler, like more than two thirds of the things I have done investment wise are are cases when 
it's just a founder and a concept uh, sometimes just the beginnings of the product but mostly not that even so that's what we are trying to do we are focused on pre-seed true pre-seed uh, like i said the earlier the better we are trying to be the institution that can support founders while there are some amazing platforms like angelist there are great angels and and i think that is all wonderful but one thing that founders can also benefit from is an institution that is geared up to play in multiple stages starting from the very very first day of the company so that's the that's what we are trying to that gap is something we feel exists in india as a global institution right not just a homegrown uh, institution uh, but 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 a group that can connect a founder with uh, with a very vast global network and that fits very well with the idea of building in india for the world so that's the second pillar for us right so first is pre-seed institutional the second is building in india for the world that's what we have seen in uh, a majority of the founders we have funded so far it's been a 10 month journey since i joined we announced the F- uh, india expansion last year we were working behind the scenes on creating a program this year we launched in a full fledged way we've had about 9000 founders who have applied uh reached out reached out we've run two cohorts um we are we have made our first crypto investment now we have done a total of uh, 14 investments some are announced yet uh, some are not and we, most importantly we've built a, a fantastic team uh where everyone is a is a founder has been a founder before which we thought was was quite important so you know building in india for the world connecting a founder to this network that's what the entire journey is about yeah nathan uh, seems like you know antler is a is a great fit uh, to your world view and to your thought process right like uh, you know you've been thinking about indian companies will build products in india for the world and then you realize that you enjoy at very early stages hence you started first principles so it's a combination of both and then that's what you know antler is what's the vision uh, that you and rajiv have for antler india in the let's say next few years so i think um, we are this is also evolving of course and you know we are ourselves a startup we are fund but we think of ourselves as a startup as well um you know i think we are trying to build roughly two engines uh, one we we call pre-seed and one we call pre-founder so pre-seed as we just talked about i think most of your audience would be aware and of course people use these labels very broadly today right so what is a seed what is a pre-seed it's really hard to tell but uh, you know in our in our mind it's simply the first 6 months of the founder's journey before they have um a true mvp or product the first institutional um check that comes in and sometimes the first very first check itself not just institutional um pre-founder is 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 something which antler uh, is very close to sort of the antler dna uh, the way antler started in many other countries uh was through the idea of a co-founder matching program you know and and that's an that's a very interesting gap that still exists and i think that even though the ecosystem has expanded a lot and and founders have matured and there are many more second time founders you know 
as I just mentioned, I faced this issue myself in my journey, right? When I was in an, in a, in the sense of creating an investing startup, I was looking for a co-founder. And I think that it's such a big decision. It's, it's, it's as big a decision as, as, as marriage, right? So this gap still exists. And that's what Antler has started with in other countries. We did not start with that in India, uh, partly because of COVID. And we want uh, to create a setting where founders can perhaps get to know each other. But you know, this is something which will probably be an area we will consider in the future. But the pre-founder aspect of Antler really is, you know, we are we are asking ourselves, what are the gaps? So uh, it could be co-founder matching. But one other one which we have started with in India, right, is is the college founder. It's uh, it's it's easy to to say we want to fund college founders. It's really hard to create a platform a structure, a support network that can actually help a founder who is, you know, uh, an outlier founder who is in that phase of life, right? By definition, has not worked, has not built something. It's just this young gun with a lot of passion, right? And we want to, this is hard. This is really hard work. And we are putting in the resources to to make this happen. So we launched the Antler India Fellowship a couple of weeks back. <clears throat> Tremendous response so far. And what we want to do is uh, is is really, you know, for example, in that sense, uh, go out to not just the tier one colleges, but but elsewhere, and unearth the call it, you know, up to ten, and we'll do it a few times a year. I think uh, up to ten in a batch, truly amazing people who are thinking about jumping into entrepreneurship, and we want to give them a grant which has no strings attached, and that's it. And we just want to see what happens. It's an experiment. We we don't want to put lots of expectations on them, right? So this is an example. And I think there'll be others which I, you know, it, we might do specific thematic cohorts. We might do, we, we don't know. We are trying to figure out, we're trying to find that product market fit and where the need is the, is the highest. But generally, all of this I call the pre-founder, right? So we want to, we want to go very early in the journey and um, um, just try to fill whatever gaps exist still for people who are in that process of getting started. Gotcha. No, you, you're looking to stay pre, uh, pre-seed, pre-founder. And then, of course, along the way, you know, you'll figure it out and a lot of things will come organically. Nathan, you moved back in 2013 and fast forward to, you know, today. Uh, and, and what we've seen this year is just, uh, you know, unreal, unprecedented. I think we had what thirty unicorns until 2020, and and in 2021 we've had 40. Uh, the ecosystem is just compounding at a at an insane pace. Uh, can you maybe like talk about the evolution of the Indian startup ecosystem uh, from t- 2013 to today? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, credit to the folks who were building it even before that, right? Because those and and people who came back and 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 uh, and people who were founders at the time when it wasn't so fashionable <clears throat> you know so i think we should always remember those are the people who sort of sowed the seeds um when i moved back uh, of course there was already a critical mass uh, you know e-commerce had started taking off but but yes looking back it feels like you know decades ago honestly it's not even been one whole decade uh in, in the true sense but <clears throat> i would say you know what are the big differences i see i think um number one um the persona of the founder i think today that founder is is far more ambitious um typically a bit younger um 
moving have with ambition you know obviously try to move at a at a very different speed and i'm not just saying capital wise but just in general their their aspirations around product growth um user growth etc many many more who are very global in their mindset which is where i think i mentioned building in india for the world is an important theme for us and that definition has also expanded because it's no longer about only saas or smb dev tools etc right so we think of version 1 of india uh, tech was it services and maybe version 2 was companies that got started with you know uh, saas uh, smb focused saas sometimes starting with a cost proposition rather than uh, you know innovation as a proposition and uh, then maybe a version 3 was you know dev tools right uh, where you had to sell to a, a developer instead of a typical business buyer but i call it version 4.0 now of going global from india which is really around more and more of vertical saas and more dev tools but also consumer companies so we're really seeing interesting examples in fintech crypto um health tech edtech right where founders are taking that global view you know my one of my favorite examples is my, one of my earlier investments on juno which is uh, strange which launched a new regulated neo bank uh, in the us for us customers while building in india and is now doing a really interesting bridge between crypto and banking and you know being able to build a lot of this from india other differences i think founders are also i i used to see a lot of sort of x for india right uber for india stripe for india etc types of things and and while that's still part of the mix i mean today you have a very different uh, mindset uh, not so much copy paste but more homegrown and taking the best best of parts of some of these models abroad but really localizing it for india and um, yeah so i think those would be and and finally i would say you're also seeing the emergence of uh, the gen z entrepreneur uh, who is you know in some sense some of these folks have spent all their life um, you know in in a digital sense and uh, they may be in bangalore they might be closer in terms of their uh, aesthetic to someone in new york versus bhopal right and uh, and so that's an interesting opportunity and and i think finally at the same time let's not forget you know on the other end of the spectrum people who are really trying to go deeper in the in the as we call bharat market right which is which was not fashionable back then because i think a lot of founders used to think they start with what gets funded and because there were all these assumptions around monetization and ltv of a typical indian user mass indian user and of course you didn't even have things like geo so penetration connectivity all of these were big issues and so a lot of founders used to start with what will get funded and answer the wrong questions today i think many more founders are starting from what are the problems i have seen in my own life uh, what is this user who has now at least connected right maybe their incomes are not growing but at least they're connected and they're used to digital experiences and digital products like what can we build for them right so you see things like um, you know kutum and share chat etc but also more interesting things in agri tech and fintech that are serving this customer so you know i think these are the four or five ways in which i think the ecosystems really evolved um the capital flows are you know they've ebbed and flowed over time right there was a big big uh, boom time in 2014 15 
uh, a little bit after the election happened a lot of money started coming in flipkart valuations jumped and then after 2016 when flipkart um, acquisition happened there was also a lull right if you might remember 15 16 there was a bit of a winter uh, and then 2000 you know 18 onwards i think it's just been going up and up and up right but that is also just in conjunction with the global plays so i don't think that i read so much into it frankly um i'm not sure why i think people are actually overestimating the opportunities in india in some cases still to be very frank because we still have to be mindful of the fact that income growth is not um as as you know it's just not happening as fast as we would like and uh, let's not forget uh, let's not uh, look at capital flows as a sign of validation right because that is more a function of global liquidity what's happening in china a lot of money flowing to india a lot of money generally flowing to early stage tech so you know i i i agree with your statement that that 50 unicorn number this year let's say uh, 50 new ones created this year right that's amazing that's truly amazing for people like us but but i don't want to read so much more into it it's not possible that suddenly in one year the entrepreneur quality has gone up doubled or tripled right that's not possible so i actually wish people were a little more disciplined about the number of bets they make or the the speed at which they move uh, but i think that's you know it's just how the markets evolve at the early stage no that's a great overview of the ecosystem nitin thanks for sharing and i totally agree with you like nowadays we do see at yc demo day you know uh, we're building we're building udan for pakistan we're building khata book for indonesia or or for that matter you know southeast asia and and i think we've we've seen this cycle earlier and what i mean by that you know of course chat you know us pioneered it china was you know uh copycatting from us and then india was doing the same thing and 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 as you discussed you said that you know founders are doing that because it's more fundable and then once china had those you know companies like tencent or alibaba or you know a bunch of others and then they were like okay what's next now they started building products for you know or they started solving uh, you know uh their own problems and that's what's happening in india as well and uh nitin you know you've spent a good amount of time in us you worked at you know great uh in you know companies and in hindsight what were some of some of the experiences uh or or skills that you picked up in the us uh, which ended up becoming valuable in india oh it's a good question uh because frankly there is that but there's also unlearning right and and i think you must many of your guests earlier probably had spoken about that i'm sure um but i'll but i'll start with the uh, the biggest lessons or you know how your mindset uh, that you develop outside in, in in the us for example or specifically in in the in silicon valley kind of helps you so i think that uh, it it certainly makes you think big that's the that's and i still think that uh, a lot of founders that i come across um are not thinking big enough and you know that's by osmosis in in the valley you pick up that right everyone is thinking of not just starting something but 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 imagining what it would take to make something big right the capital big right and so whether that's uh, thinking about just the vision ambition how to scale how to solve problems with product etc i think that becomes part of your mindset right i think uh, 
in some sense you know there is certainly a sense of uh, of of professionalism of efficiency of speed that becomes very natural when you're working in that environment and it's not always the case when you come back and you have to find your tribe you have to find your tribe you have to find the people that that align with those values and and then you can put those to good use and if you don't find that tribe you can get frustrated also so yeah i would say you know generally i mean there are many things but but um you know typically and i'm not trying to generalize too much but typically if you've spent enough time there you know a you get really bought into the idea of uh, of of thinking big of of focusing on on product um on focusing on technology as as the multiplier rather than throwing money or people at the problem and uh, certainly in your way of working you get uh, you know you you definitely become someone who pays a lot more attention to you know doing things the right way doing things efficiently uh communication i think is the other piece right just the communication skills that you develop written oral that definitely i think can go a long way in terms of being a better leader also now all that being said i think you have to unlearn a lot when you come back to india right and and it's an interesting experience for those of us who grew up here especially in you know middle class india and and so you know some of the, you know you know how to work in india but if you've been abroad for some time you've sort of lost those muscles you have to come back and develop those muscles again um so yeah you know i think for the first few years it was as much learning as much as as unlearning for me and um, and and of course there there the i think a lot of people must have talked about it in your previous shows right coming back i think the first thing that uh, one can one needs to adapt to is is patience even though today things are actually frankly quite good i mean you come back you can live in cities like bangalore or south bombay or south delhi you can pretty much have some semblance of what your life was uh, outside india in terms of what you took for granted efficiency productivity wise so you can create your bubble right so you find your tribe you create your bubble but uh, but it still will irk you every day in some form right so patience uh is needed to navigate both your personal life and your professional life um and similarly right people i mean it's very natural to start applying that lens to startups in india right oh why don't we have this kind of user growth why don't we hire this kind of a person why don't we do this or that and you realize that when reality hits you like the founder for example i'm talking specifically as an investor or uh, someone who's helping a founder right you realize that the reality on the ground is very very different there is more friction in the environment the founder in india versus the founder in the us founder in india has a you know earning a rupee is much harder than earning a dollar in the absolute sense right um so i think the job is 100 times harder uh finding the right people finding people who you can trust finding people who will actually you know own the problem because i think that's a big difference i also forgot to mention i think there's a stronger sense of owning problems in in the us uh, tech culture i think certainly india is getting there but you know finding these kinds of people and creating a team and culture it takes time and similarly you know you know acquiring a user changing user behavior uh, dealing with other stakeholders suppliers i mean every step of the way there is a little bit more friction in india right so you have to be patient basically so you have to you you have to you have to let go of that uh, 
ambition, speed, and and realize that it will still you you just need it's a different curve. You'll still get to the same point, but it will be, be a different different uh, curve, right? Um, maybe for a while you have to give it time. Um, and then I would say the last thing, you know, unlearning is is uh, is really about you know coming back to realizing that relationships matter a lot more, right? It's not um, the, 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 here that personal chemistry is what's going to make things happen, right? Not uh, not some top-down process. So you you start to focus a lot more on on that, right? The the relationship that you have with your team, with your founder, with your co-founder, etc. So I mean, I know I could go on and on about other learnings and unlearnings, but I think that that would be my. <laughs> no, Nitin, you were uh, spot on. And so one thing is pretty evident. Uh, you know, India has become an opportunity hub, especially if you're working in tech. You know, earlier Indians living abroad would move back to India, maybe because of the family or or a foreign land is not for everybody. So, you know, some people just feel lonely. But one thing that has changed, you know, in the last two three years at least, that you can come back to India and, as you said, like thinking massive, right? Think big. You can really build or or leave a legacy. Uh, in fact, you can just come back and build a you know whatever like whatever valuation you can become a billionaire in my uh, I truly believe in that and and because of that a lot of people have started thinking about moving back to India and what advice would you give you know how should they plan their move back to India or maybe the framework uh, they can have in mind so you know it's a really good question if you take a little bit of a longer term view and not just the bubble right now and you know I think, uh, first of all, there is no way to compare. They're not the same experiences. They're fundamentally different experiences. So I think one of the other things I would like to add to the last answer is when you move back, you need to stop comparing because you, you cannot compare those two things. as you know. And, and if you keep comparing your incomes, your X or Y or et cetera, you can get irrationally exuberant or depressed, right? So first thing is like, do, they are not actual comparisons. I think uh, advice. So I still think that for the large part, uh, moving back to India for a lot of people will still feel like a little bit of an irrational bet. And I don't mean crazy or anything. I, mean, I think, of course, today we know that you can come back and create real value for yourself. So that can be rational. But what I mean is, I think for most people who have spent, let's say, at least five to seven years abroad in the US specifically, let's say, I think uh, what I've seen is most people are happier when they come back because of some clarity about why they're doing it. And it could be, it's a very personal decision. There's no right answer, but it usually falls in one of these buckets, right? Um, Family. And if that's the case, then that's that's obviously the most important thing in life. Some people, uh, I think, really would benefit from the clarity of thought around like, look, I want to do something meaningful in India, right? Could be just an emotional thing about creating impact in India. I, I, I meet a lot of folks and I myself feel like to some extent that was part of my decision as well. Or it could be about being a founder in India, right? Which again is is not necessarily a rational decision, right? And that's actually more fun, right? I think you know, for, if you come back for these reasons, you will probably have, uh, even if you have challenges, you will see the meaning in it, right? Uh, but I don't put particularly believe that people would be necessarily happy with thinking about it rationally and saying, 
oh, let me go back and then now there are so many economic opportunities. Can I make the same money? Because I think that a in a longer term sense, you will still make more money, I think, in, in the US or somewhere, frankly, unless you're an entrepreneur and create wealth. And um, and also, I think that sometimes even if you are earning decently in India, you know, you will find other parts of your life to be suboptimal, perhaps. So I think that long story short, I found that in my experience, at least people who came back with one of those more irrational reasons were actually happier, adapted better and were able to surmount the challenges that came along the way. And uh, and anyone who moved simply thinking of like, oh, there is a near term bubble. There's an opportunity. Let me go back. Let me see if I can land in a in a nice cushy job. Sometimes that doesn't work out well because you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, no, totally agree with you, uh, Nathan. And you've had a fantastic career so far. Uh, and and but the reality is, of course, you know, most of the time we are just figuring it out. And and when when things are not working out or going you know, according uh, to the way that you want them to go, what frameworks do you use or, or the questions you ask yourself, you know, uh, to get yourself back on track? Oh, well, I mean, I thanks for saying uh, that it's been a successful, phenomenal career. I actually really don't see it that way. I think it's a work in progress. And, you know, especially in what, what, what we do, what I do, for example, um, your success is the success of your founders. And uh, and so all you can celebrate is process for a while. The actual outcomes may or may not happen. May take ten years, and uh, and it it even even if it turns out well, it'd be largely luck. So you know, I just have a very philosophical view about these things that uh, you have to keep coming back to the process, the you know, inputs not outputs, and uh, and the why of why you're doing it, because if you if you lose that, then uh, it, it certainly, you know, there can be periods of a slump or issues in your personal life, etc., which can make, uh, it might seem fine to the outside world, but it could actually be a very challenging period for you. And what, what kind of brings you back to a place of, uh, uh, you know, productive work and peace is, is really going back to why you're doing it. And, uh, and, and typically, the hardest thing is that there is so much noise in our environment so much noise unbelievable right social media funding is happening unicorns you know people making money and um and i think that it can really make you forget the why of why you're doing something and so you've got to find your own zone uh you know like i said you've got to find your tribe in terms of the people you're with to find your own bubble uh in terms of the environment that you're in and you've got to find your own personal zone, whether that's meditation or something else, right? And keep reminding yourself um, why you're doing this and and believe in that and know that uh, it's very common for great careers to have slumps and long periods when nothing happens. And just like a startup or just like a new technology, slowly then suddenly, right? So overnight success is really not overnight. Sometimes it takes uh, decades to decades in the making. So um you know, I try to remind myself of that and maintain humility. And um, I think once you go through enough things in life, you realize that uh, um, it's all the stories we tell ourselves, right? So, and and a lot of it is just luck. So I, I think just coming back to who you are, why you're doing what you're doing, what you value, but it needs 
constant reinforcement. I mean, it's like I said, it's a very, very noisy environment that we work in. Nitin, if money and attention are not needed anymore, what would you work on? Oh, wow. Uh, I, I would like to eventually... Okay, well, let me put it this way, right? I, I would still like to do what I'm generally working on uh, in this phase of my life. It's things like, you know, the future of Web3 and what it could mean to India. How can we have more things built out of India for a global market? Um, areas like mental wellness, climate change, like those are fairly meaningful. And, um, you know, in a sense, uh, being a VC is a very fortunate, it's a, it's, a, it's a very lucky place to be. It's not all glamorous. It's exactly the opposite of what people think it is. But it's still a very lucky place to be because you, by definition, are working with smart, ambitious people. I mean, there's no other job in the world where you wake up and by definition, you're only working with smart, ambitious people who want to change the world. Right. And your job is to help them, enable them, de-bottleneck them in whatever way you can. So I, w- I still think I would be doing some version of what I'm doing. Perhaps I would be uh, maybe closer to, to certain things where... Uh, you know, the impact part is stronger. But if you ask me a different question, you know, in a different phase of life, uh, what I would like to do, you know, I would like to, I'd like to do something around, you know, education policy in India, or 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 the way our education system works. Because, you know, every time I think about it, if we could change, like, that's where the minds are trained, right? If you could change a few things there, uh, hundreds of millions of people will have a different way of thinking, uh, a different way of acting. And, you know, that could create like massive systemic change over time. Right. Um, so I don't know. I have no specific thoughts. I also care a lot about some other areas like philanthropy and uh, animal rights, etc. You know, I have a lot of interest in those areas, but I, and I don't know if it's money, man. I don't know if it's money that's, that's keeping me away from, I think it's uh it's, I've just assumed it's a different phase of life when I will explore those things in more detail. Love it, Nathan. Uh, this was amazing. Thanks a lot for making the time, coming on the podcast, sharing your experiences and talking about the, you know, the evolution of the Indian technology ecosystem and bringing Antler uh, to India. Uh, and, and, you know, ever since you've moved back to India, you've been enabling the ecosystem, whether, you know, through Lightbox, through first principle or, or, you know, through working in, uh, you know, working with the policymakers. I think that's a very important uh, role there. And, uh, and yeah, we are looking forward uh, to what you have uh, in store for you know, yourself uh, and, and Antler in India. Thanks. Thanks, Shiva. This was fun. Always good to take a step back and reflect on this kind of a journey and uh, hope, hope some of this is helpful to, to our listeners and, Good luck to everyone who's making these transitions.